Jesus said, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. What is it that you need to be set free from? Just think about your own life for a little bit. What is it that you feel there's still some kind of thing that's holding you, some kind of weight on your shoulders, some kind of bondage that, that just kind of has you in its grasp? And, and even though you're a Christian, you've been struggling, how can I get rid of this? How can I get beyond this? How can I get past this? Maybe if you're not a Christian here today, you feel like the whole world's on your shoulders and, and you don't know how to break free from that, how to get free. So I want to just kind of have an exercise with you. I want you to think about yourself. Think of one thing you need to get free of. And in just a minute, I'm going to have you fill in the blank. We're going to say it all together. We're going to say, God, I need to be set free from, and you fill in the blank, okay? If we all say it at the same time, we won't hear what anybody else is saying, okay? <laughs> it's between you and God. All right? Ready? Think what it is. I'll give you just a minute. Got it in mind? Okay. Here we go. Ready? God, I need to be set free from... Ah, ah, ah. You know, I had a feeling you'd be afraid somebody would be listening to you and wondering what you're going to do with that. Well, anyhow, we all had something in mind because you already thought about it now. You thought what you didn't want to say out loud. <laughs> so that's what you want to be free from. For the past six weeks, we've been asking, what is the truth? What is the truth about all these things? Is there truth? Yes. Is there absolute truth that never changes? Yes. What is that truth? What do we have that we can stake our lives on? None of us can live without truth. None of us can go around pretending we have our own set of values, our own set of truth. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. This is how I'm going to live. Because there is truth. If we try and go some other route, it's like breaking ourselves on that rock. There's this foundation, this rock, and and Jesus said, you know, I'll either be the, the stepping stone, the cornerstone of your life, the foundation stone of your life, or you're going to stumble over me. You're going to get broken on me. Because the truth is the truth, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, this morning we're going to talk about something that affects all of us. All of us. None of us is exempt from temptation. And you may have your own little thing that's your problem. You may have a big thing that's your problem. But none of us can say, I don't have any problem with temptations. If so, you're delusional. You're, you're, you're not even in the world. You're all somewhere else. Because all of us struggle with temptation. What is temptation? Where does it come from? What are the ramifications of giving in to temptation? Is it possible to overcome any and every temptation we will have here in this life? Our passage this morning is from James chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn over to that. You can follow on the screen. It's good for you to look down at your own word if you have your Bible with you, because then you start figuring out where these things are. I know that in this passage, it's going to be on the second page of James. It's going to be up in the upper left-hand corner is where we're going to start. Once you start figuring out where these things are, it helps you kind of your memory. Remember where things are and what, what they say. So we're going to start at verse 12, James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, here we go, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of what? Truth. He gave us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What about this thing called temptation? According to these verses, is God responsible for tempting us? No. No, God is not tempted by anything, nor does he tempt anyone, James says. Then who does tempt us? Who is it? It's us. Oh, no. (laughs) Where's the blame? There's where it falls squarely on our shoulders. James says that we are tempted by our own evil desires. We are tempted by what's inside of us. And we let these desires go crazy on us, and then pretty soon we're doing the wrong thing. Other scriptures do tell us, however, that Satan is a tempter. That he's one who deceives us. One is the father of lies. He is the one that tries to put out falsehood wherever he can. And he's the one that will actually kind of snuggle up to us sometimes and whisper things to us, kind of in our mind, like, you know, it would really be nice to do that. I know God said it's not right, but it would really be nice if you do that. So we need to talk about the evil desires, and we need to talk about Satan, because both of these play very much into temptation. What are these evil desires that James talks about that reside in us? These desires are actually not bad in themselves. To put the word evil in front of that is something that the NIV kind of added because the context is these are desires that have run amok, desires that have gone over the top, that have gone over the boundaries. But actually, desires are just desires. They're God-given. They're all kinds of desires that we have. What makes them evil is when they're satisfied in ways that God has said are wrong or evil. Satan tries to entice us to sin by playing up to these natural desires, but getting them to go places they're not supposed to go. If he can get us to pursue our natural desires in ungodly ways, then we will sin and the consequences of sin will follow. Satan knows what we desire. He knows this. And his scheme is to get us to satisfy those desires in ways God has prohibited. Now, Sometimes we're trapped. Sometimes we're enticed. Sometimes we go ahead and then only later think, Wow, what did I just do? Yeah, I went right along with that. I didn't even think about it. I didn't stop. And sometimes we deliberately, rebelliously chase after things that we know full well are not God's will, but we just want them so badly. Sometimes Satan is very smart, very sly, very shrewd, and he makes things very attractive. And sometimes he doesn't need to be involved. Sometimes he could be in another country and you're still going to sin. Because there's this desire in you, and you want it so badly that you're willing to overstep the boundaries God gave in order to fulfill that desire. I want to share several diagrams with you this morning, and I can't tell you where they came from. I I just found them as a a result of some of the other preachers shared with me, and I can't figure out who came up with these, but I really like what they are, and I wanted to share them with you because they help me to kind of picture what's going on. If we understand the process of temptation and sin, then we know where to attack. We know what to to do to stop it at some point in that process. And so I want to share those with you. The verses that the diagrams depict are in verses 14 and 15. So let's just read those again. James says this, 
Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Notice in this passage that there's this life cycle of sin that is described. And James uses kind of a metaphor of the reproductive cycle, if you want to call it that. When, when, when a person is conceived, they're born, they live, and then they die. And there's this whole cycle of life. We might just call it a life cycle from beginning to the end of earthly life. So look at figure one here. Temptation, which is from the devil or from you know, within us, somehow unites with our evil desires. The two of them get together, and it's like a child is conceived. And when the two get together, sin is the result. Sin is born, it said. And when sin continues in process, if it's not stopped somewhere along the way, it ends up maturing, and the result of that is death. Very simple diagram, but you see, there's two things that should stay separate, shouldn't be brought together. But when we allow them to come together, then sin is born and death follows. That is the result. Now, I want you to notice a couple observations. First of all, temptation is not sin. The fact that you are tempted is not a sinful thing. It is the instigator of sin. It is the, kind of the, the spawn of sin. It's the, the suggestion that may get you there, but it is not sin itself. So we must not allow guilt feelings that usually accompany sin itself, to cripple us when we've been tempted. Satan will use that against you. He'll say, man, you're just tempted all the time. You haven't sinned. You're, you're at the, the point of thoughts, of ideas being introduced. It is not yet sin. It's only when you grab onto those and you act on those, either with your thoughts or with your actions, that it can become sin. But it's only when temptation and the desires get together. And uh, So temptation is not sin. Secondly, strong desires are not sin. The desires you have in you, the desire that we have for the opposite sex, the desire we have for physical hunger or thirst, the desire to be loved, the desire to, 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 uh, to make it in this world, to succeed, you know, to, to uh, produce, to, to be successful, to be well-liked, or to have influence. Uh, all these things are, are kind of built into us, and yet they're not wrong. It's just how are they expressed? How are they lived out? They are, in many times, important to our survival. But God intends for us to keep them under control and to channel them properly according to what he tells us in his word, the Bible. And when we start going other places, we start using them in other ways, that's when we run into problems. When they, the, the desires overflow their boundaries, or when they, they give in to the temptation, they unite together to go away that God has said is wrong, then sin is a result. Unless somehow we stop these two from getting together, sin always brings death. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. Okay. Uh, there's physical death. came as a result of Adam and Eve and their sin. And uh, sometimes we die physically because of our sin. But really, the, the, the greater problem is spiritual death or eternal death. There will be a second death and it will be for all of eternity and it will be eternal punishment. It's not a pretty thing. Ezekiel 18.20, other verses tell us that we are guilty for only for our own sins. We are not guilty for the sins of our children. We're, they're not 
guilty for our sins, and each of us must figure out how we can overcome sin in our own lives by God's grace. So what is the key here? Let's go on to, to uh, figure two. The key to passing the test is to keep our desires and sins from getting together. So this is the decision. This is the decision of the will. You've got the hunger, the desire. You have the temptation that's presenting itself to you. It's simply a test. What are you going to do about this? The thought crossed your mind. Uh, something walked in front of you or someone, and, and uh, suddenly there's an action that is required if you're going to sin. And you have to figure out somehow by your will to block that, to stop that, to deny that. And that's where the choice is made. That's where the decision is made. This is what Jesus did when he was on earth. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 tells us about how he went into the wilderness and he was tempted to sin following his baptism. The devil came to him. And at least three times, I think more, but at least three times that we're, we're told exactly what was done, he tempted him to fulfill the desires of his heart and the desire of his body in ways God did not allow. Now, one of them was food. And he was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and nights. But God had told him, hold off. This is an important time to deny yourself of that. And he would not overstep that boundary for those 40 days and nights. Notice that sin was never conceived by Jesus because he never allowed his desires to go against God's wishes. And in the wilderness he grew hungry, but his father's will was that he would not eat. Satan appealed to other human desires for recognition, for power. But Jesus refused to satisfy himself in ways that were outside God's plan for his life and for his ministry. Now we're usually not as successful as Jesus was, are we? We're often like two little boys that I heard about that got caught disobeying their mothers. First little boy was a little boy whose mother told him not to go swimming. She caught him several times down at the local pond swimming. She didn't like that because she was afraid he was going to get hurt or whatever, so she said, don't do that. However, he's gone for a few hours. He came back, and his hair's wet. And he's got on a bathing suit, and the bathing suit's still dripping. She knew exactly what he'd been up to. So she says, Johnny, I told you not to go swimming. He says, well, I couldn't help it, Mom. The water looks so good. But she said, you get your bathing suit on. Why did you take your bathing suit with you? And he says, in case I was tempted to swim. <laughs> he was kind of preparing for it, you know. It's going to come, so I might as well be prepared for this. The other little boy that I heard about was a four-year-old that was caught by his mom standing up on a chair in the kitchen, getting into the cookie jar. He'd already been helping himself to several cookies. Crumbs were everywhere. And she had just told him not to do that anymore. And here's how he explained the situation to his mom. He said, Mom, it's not my fault. I just climbed up on the chair, took the lid off the cookie jar, just wanted to smell the cookies. And my tooth got caught on one of them. <laughs> Only a four-year-old could maybe get away with that one. But we know the feeling of these two little boys preparing, getting as close to the edge as we possibly can, and then saying, gee, I said, how did that happen? <laughs> and we knew we put ourselves right there. How many fishermen do we have here today? How many people like to fish? Got a few around? Doesn't mean you catch anything. It means you like to get your line wet. That's what I do. Okay. Fishermen. Steve Malone describes this sin process in much the same way. In terms of fishermen could understand. He said, here's what happens. The bait is dropped in front of us, dangled in front of us. And the inner desire is stirred. And you start looking at this bait. Is this a real thing? This is a good thing. This is something I want. Is there a hook inside of that? And whatever. 
So all these desires are being there. And then a decision is made that we're going to yield to that. We're going to grab onto that bait and we mistake the lure for the real thing or, or we, we don't see what's behind the real thing that's dangling there in front of us and we eat something we shouldn't. Sin ends up in death. Tragic consequences, which for a fish means he gets cooked and fried. And, and that's the end of the story for him. That's what sin does. In James 1, the word dragged away carries with it the idea of baiting a trap. And the word enticed literally means to bait a hook. If you're a fisherman, you know you had to know the, you have to know the fish that you're trying to catch. You have to know what they like. Some fish like worms, some like minnows, some like shrimp, like squid. And if you're not using live bait, then you choose some kind of lure that looks and acts like the live bait. And maybe you will be even more attracted to them as it moves through the water if you're trolling or whatever. Steve Malone says this, here's this fish, just safe and, and casually doing whatever fish do down there in the water, and suddenly this bait is dangled in front of him. The fish thinks, wow, that sure looks great. I'd like to have me some of that. Now at this point, he has a decision to make. And he can stay in his safe hiding place, or he can go after the bait. And if he chooses the latter, we all know where he ends up. Now look back at figure one for a minute. Look back at figure one. That's exactly the way temptation works with us. The bait's dropped. It's something that looks good to us, appeals to us. And once the two are brought together, sin occurs. Once we say, I'm going for that, then sin occurs and death results. That's part one of the story. There's a part two. There's a part two, and it happens here in this latter portion. Once sin is conceived, another decision happens right here. Another decision has to happen because now we realize we've sinned, we've messed up, we've made the wrong choice, we're regretting it, we're feeling ashamed, we have a hard time even looking at God and praying to God. What now? What do we do at that point? That is part two. What should Christians do when they have slipped and allowed sin to be conceived? Well, they have to break the cycle by acknowledging their sin to God and by turning away from it. The Bible calls these things confession and repentance. You've heard those words? This is what it means. Confession is admitting to God any sin that we commit so that our relationship with Him is not impacted by that sin. We've sinned, we've failed, we've, we've, we've failed the test, we, we didn't pass by the temptation. You know, we conceived the sin. Now what do we do? Confession is taking that to God and saying, God, I'm sorry, you know. I, I, I admit it. I acknowledge that I've sinned. I failed. I, I didn't pass. And I failed. I acknowledge that. Repentance is turning from that. Repentance is bouncing back from that. You see, this wall has been put up. A decision has been made that now I'm not going to keep going with that sin. I'm not going to do it again and again and again and again. Now I'm stopping. I'm making a big decision to acknowledge this before God, to repent of it and turn around and go back to the beginning. Get back out of here. I don't want to go any further with this. It's a very important decision. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have had a problem with these two getting together and sin results. What do we do next? And too often what we do is nothing. We feel bad. We feel ashamed. We can't talk to God anymore. We, can't, we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to turn from it. So we just do it again and again and again and again. And pretty soon it becomes the pattern, the lifestyle of our life. And that is a huge problem. 
That is a huge problem. Because if we don't acknowledge our sin to God, we let sin grow bigger and bigger. God and sin, however, are incompatible. God doesn't like to be around sin. And when we get filled up with sin, God leaves. God says, I'm not going to hang around this. I can't. His holiness does does not allow that. It's incompatible. And so when we hold on to sin, we let go of God. We let that impact our relationship with God. And as sin grows more and more strong in our life, we grow more and more comfortable with it. We forfeit the benefits we could have of being tight with God, the guidance, the the peace, the strength, all the things that God brings to our lives. And suddenly all this stuff is interrupted because sin is, we're holding on to it so tight and it's taking over. And we're losing God in the process. Now, God knows that we're going to still sin occasionally. That's okay. I mean, it's going to happen. There are going to be times we slip up, times we weren't ready, times we were really deceived, we thought we were doing right, we weren't, a lot of things like that. But the important thing is to immediately confess the sin as soon as we realize what we've done. And the sooner we confess it and repent of it, the less damage that sin can do to us, to our relationship with God. So I wanted to give you just a few things. There's many, many things that you could be doing. Let me just give you a couple broad strokes here, real quick. How to overcome temptation. First thing is to keep learning God's word so that you aren't deceived. Satan is going to try to deceive you. This whole series is about truth because we need to know the truth so we can choose to walk according to the truth. We don't know the truth, you can't do anything. If you're ignorant of the truth, you're just out there totally susceptible, totally vulnerable, you're going to just fall prey to temptation after temptation. It's going to be a problem. Remember that Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He will whisper things like, you don't need to listen to God. You don't need to worry about this. It's not going to hurt you. It's not really wrong for you to do that. He's just constantly fudging, just blurring the lines. You have to know the truth. Say, no, that's not what God said. That's how Jesus answered his temptations over and over again. He said, no, the word says this. God said this. Another thing that we can do to overcome temptation, avoid tempting situations. Now, this is the little boy climbing up onto the stool and reaching into the cookie jar. This is the little boy that took his swimsuit with him. This principle appears several times in God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test everything. 22 says, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. If you know it's there, don't go there. If you know it's around the corner, don't go around the corner. It's really that simple sometimes. If you find yourself in a tempting situation, get out of there as fast as you can. Flee, run away, remove yourself. Resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you're weakened by certain relationships in your life, you need to avoid those relationships. Stop them. Change how they go. Where you go with that person. What you do with that person. Change it or stop it. Young people, if you put yourself in a risky situation with someone of the opposite sex, you get alone in a house or somewhere, maybe you add a few drinks to the, to the, uh, you know, the dynamic, the, the, the thing you're mixing up there, don't be surprised if something bad happens. Don't put yourself in that situation. If you have a problem with gambling, don't go to the casino. If you have a problem with drinking, don't go where you know other people are going to be drinking. If you have a problem with, with uh, pornography, 
put a filter on your computer or don't use a computer at all, you know, or, or your TV set and your movies. Don't order HBO. Don't order the movies that come into your house so the temptation is there to stop that. It's really that simple most of the time. Just avoid it. Flee it. Run from it. Remove it. It's, it's really that direct. By the way, there is a name for folks who linger and try to reason with temptation. Their name is victim. <laughs> victim. People want to play with this stuff. They are the victims. Not really. They made the choices. But they're going to be on the receiving end of some horrible consequences. And mostly as Christians, when we just allow this stuff to keep on going, we are damaging our relationship with God, and we're weakening it day by day. And then we wonder why God doesn't come in, answer our prayers, and bail us out, and make everything right again. Why aren't we successful? Why isn't our family doing better? Why isn't my job going better? We have all these questions. God, where were you? God says, I can't get close to you right now. you got all this stuff going on in your life, and you're not doing anything about it. And our relationship is hurting. Our relationship is broken. And he promises never to leave us or forsake us, but he will not stand by and watch us destroy ourselves. He can't be part of that. Last thing I want to say to you is that God expects us to stand when temptation comes. Even though we may think that we can't say no to temptation, God says we can 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that God has provided a way of escape for us. He doesn't promise that we'll never be tempted. He said, instead promises that there will be a way to pass the test. There will be a way to get around that temptation. There will be a way to block those two things. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. You really need to know this verse. Write it down. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God wants you to stand up under this temptation. He wants you to pass the test. And he provides every time a way of escape, a way around it, a way over it, instead of having to go through it. Now that you know the promise... Can Satan tempt you beyond what God allows? No. He can't. There's a limit. There's a governor put on that thing. There's a boundary put on thing. And God says, this child of mine is ready for this test. Now, will he or she make the right choice? Will he stand up under it? Will she stand up under it? Can you always find a way of escape when temptation presents itself? Yes. How is that possible? By the grace and power of God and God alone. I want you to encourage you to pray every day about this. This is a, a battleground that never leaves us. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're moving here on this earth, as long as you're part of life, you're going to be facing this battle. I'm going to be facing this battle. But God has given us His presence and His Holy Spirit, dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the Spirit does for us is to help us resist the devil when he comes near. Another thing He does for us is to help us find the truth. Jesus said he's going to help you seek out the truth. And you can know that truth. He also helps that truth to set us free from any temptation that has plagued us in the past. So can we ever say, well, I'm sorry, but this temptation is just too much for me. I've I got to give in to that one. And I can handle everything else, but I can't handle that. No, there's never a time to really say that. Because it's not you. It's the power of God working in you. God expects us to stand when temptation stands. 
uh, comes. And when we, when we mess up, immediately confess that and say, God, i got to get some help here. I need some help. I want to leave this. I want to turn around from this. I want to stop this. Give me some help right now. I heard about an overweight businessman who decided it was time to lose weight. So he took his new diet seriously. And one of the places he had trouble with was a bakery that he passed on the way to work. He'd always stop by there and buy some sweet, you know, and eat it maybe all day long or hide it somewhere, you know, and consume it somehow. And uh, so he decided to take a different route to work and did that successfully for a while. But however, one day he arrived carrying a gigantic coffee cake. And people kind of knew the struggle that was going on. They said, what's, what's with the coffee cake? And he says, well, this is a very special coffee cake. He says, I accidentally drove by the bakery this morning. I just kind of forgot. just went back to old habit and drove there. And there in the window was a rack full of, of beautiful warm goodies they just made. I, I knew, knew what those things were about. And he said, I felt it was no accident that I saw those. So I prayed, Lord, if you want me to have one of those things, let me find a parking space directly in front of the bakery today. He says, sure enough, eighth time around the block, there was a parking space. <laughs> he wanted it pretty badly, I guess. And God expects us to stand up better than that. Other Christians can be very helpful to you. Other Christians, listen to this. Find another Christian or two that you can be accountable to. Confess your struggles to them. You have an area of your life, like all of the rest of us do, that is a particular area of, di of difficulty, of weakness, then confess that to that person, somebody that you trust. Somebody that you trust their confidentiality, that they, they can keep things in secret, and they will pray for you, they will encourage you. And then you agree, after you find out each other's struggles, that you're going to pray for each other, and you're going to check back with each other at least once a week, no, no less frequent than that, at least once a week, you get back to each other, and you see how you're doing. See where the struggles happen. Did you, did you have any problems since last Monday, or last Sunday, or whenever you get together? I want to tell you, I have an accountability partner. I talk with him every week. He knows what's going on in my life. I know what's going on in his. He knows whether I'm standing up or I'm failing, whether things are right and good or whether I'm slipping and things. I confess to him and I confess to God whenever I mess up. And I count on him to pray for me every day. And I do the same for him. You need to have somebody like that in your life. No one is exempt. No one says, well, I can do this on my own. I'm just the Lone Ranger out here. Well, the Lone Ranger is going to get picked off. So you need Tonto. <laughs> you need somebody beside you that believes in you, somebody who will support you, somebody who will hold you accountable to the path that God has called you to walk. We live in a day and age when people want to just pass the buck. They want to pass the blame. This has been going on since the Garden of Eden. When Satan first tempted Adam and Eve, and uh, he starts confront, God uh, confronts Adam and Eve for what their sin they've done, and they start passing the blame. Confronts Adam, he says, well, my wife did it. She's the one that led me to it. Confronts Eve, and she says, well, Satan, that serpent that you made, you know, God, you did, why did you allow the serpent in the world? You know, and, and all these blame-passing things. If you sometimes do that, you pass the buck, you pass the blame, I want to encourage you to stop. I want to encourage you to stop. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care what your environment was. I don't care the dynamics of your life today. I don't care what pressures are on you. I don't care what opportunities are on you. I want you to stop passing the blame. Because you will never move on. You will never figure this stuff out. 
until you take responsibility for your own choices. You make those choices. And when the temptation arises and the desires are there, what do you do? What do you do? You make that choice. No one else can make it for you. And you are responsible. And you can either smile because you passed it, or you can, can be ashamed because you failed it. But you make that choice. And you can't move on until you, you recognize that. Remember the keys to overcoming, and they're up here. Remember, go on to the, the next slide, please. To learn God's word, to avoid wherever you can temptation and its problems that it could be for you. And then remember that God expects you to stand. Pray. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you the way. Get an accountability partner and be brutally honest with each other. Remember that crucial passage from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'll just read it for you again. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Just north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is a quaint little village. Decided that they needed a new city hall. They were going to put their their firemen and policemen in there too. They're going to build this wonderful little building. They didn't have a lot of money, but they put it all together. They could, and they built this beautiful new brick building. People loved it. They enjoyed it. They started using it. But in a matter of just a few months, the building began to show cracks. Obviously, the cracks in the building. It's a brand new building. The windows wouldn't close properly anymore. Things were starting to sag. They knew that Things were out of square. Things were, were falling apart. Before too many weeks, the doors were ajar. They couldn't even lock the building anymore. And the floor buckled. And finally, the sidewalk out in front of the, the building even started caving in. In a period of less than a year, they had to stop using this brand new building. When they made an investigation, they discovered that deep beneath the surface, they had built too close to where they'd been doing some mining. The mining had weakened the foundation area so that slowly but surely this building was cracking, shifting, sinking, dropping, and breaking into pieces because there was a flaw underneath. This morning, God's word has warned us of the dangers of temptation and sin, many of which are hidden beneath the surface. Nobody else knows what's going on. They don't see it. It's in your mind. It's in your heart. It's in your will. But God has shown us how to overcome. He encourages us to stand up under temptation, and he has given us the power to do so. If we seek him with all of our heart, we will pass the tests of our lives, and we will grow stronger. What will your choice be? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the uh, word that you've given us, for the truth that is there. We play around with these things sometimes, and and we're like that person just kind of tottering along the edge of the, the cliff, the waterfall, dancing around like there's really no harm. It's just a lot of fun. But the consequences are real. The danger is certain. And I pray today that we will take this truth and we will put it into our lives before the next 24 hours pass. Uh, we will not put this off. We will not say, someday I'm going to get that fixed. We'll not pass the buck. We'll realize the responsibility is ours. We pray that you would bless us, that you would uh, guide us. 
uh, that you would empower us so that we could uh, be successful in living this life that you laid out for us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to give us boundaries. Thank you for loving us enough to say, you know, if you'll stay right here, things will go great. Just don't, don't get out of the boundaries. Don't jump the fence. We thank you for loving us and knowing us and providing that for us. Now, we ask that you give us the strength and the wisdom to be true to the truth you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.